time. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Episode four, season two, and we're talking defense. Last week, it was a lot about wide receivers. It was a lot about offense. And we actually have some things that we want to finish up uh, with that particular discussion. And we're going to get to that later on in this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. But the Vikings have a defensive coordinator. The Vikings need to improve on defense. So it's time to talk defense. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about the Vikings wide receivers also on the show today. And to help me with it is the usual cast of characters. It's Giles and Chase. Hey, fellas, how's it going? Hey, hey, doing well. Um, it's always a, a sombering moment post Super Bowl where uh, football yeah. tends to kind of wind down. Um, yep. I'm a huge football fanatic, so I love it when football's going. So um, on the inverse of that, I don't love when Super Bowl when stuff starts to wind down. So I'm excited for the offseason and to discuss what can be done for the Minnesota Vikings and getting them a little bit further to chasing a championship, but uh, definitely disappointed that football's over. Yep, we are. Um, I'm sure, Chase, you feel the same way. What was your, yeah. your Super Bowl activity, Chase? What'd you do? I stayed home and watched with Pops. So uh nice. It was pretty nice. good though. It was, it was a fun Super Bowl. I thought, I thought it was a uh, entertaining more, more than a, a couple other recent ones for sure. I, I agree with that. And that, that is actually one of the things I had a note I had underneath the Super Bowl recap uh, talking point. And we're going to get to that later on in the Wobcast. We're also uh, going to get to finishing our discussion about Vikings wide receivers. If you remember last week, we dug into the Vikings wide receiver room what worked, what didn't. And we took a look at some other teams, wide receiver rooms to see if there were stencils, so to speak, of how to make it work. And then we wound up settling on one path the Vikings could take to improve that room for 2023 with the ultimate goal of generating the number one offense in the NFL. So a big part of that path was a sensational move uh, to trade for T Higgins from the Bengals. So that was fun fodder. And we encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it last week, because it will be good context for you as you listen to us recap uh, that and then finish that discussion later on in this episode of the Wobcast. So we'll continue that later. Uh, but first, we have a couple of items to get to, and we're going to start with defense. Guys, finally, after a couple of weeks of wondering who it would be, thinking it was going to be Brian Flores, but it never ended up being Brian Flores. The Vikings did land their man. Brian Flores, the people's choice, I believe, um, for their defensive coordinator. You know, you have an open position like that, and there are lots of candidates that come in to get interviewed or that are rumored, and that was certainly the case for the Vikings and their defensive coordinator position. But I do believe, Giles, that Flores would have been the, the Vikings nation choice if they would have been allowed to vote on it. They weren't allowed to vote on it, but they still got the guy they wanted, Brian Flores, I believe that was probably the people's choice because he's a young, energetic guy. He's been a head coach before. I think, though, most importantly for Vikings fans looking for a change was Flores has the tag of being aggressive and semi-blitz happy, uh, if mm. you will. And I think that maybe might have been what drew people to Flores the most. Do you agree with that? I would agree with that. I think uh, anytime someone gets aggressive, so to speak, people love that idea. Now, yeah. To also be specific, that's actually not the reason that I love him. Um, although I think that will benefit our team next year. And I think we're going to be able to achieve a lot more success. I don't look at that and say, well, because you blitz more, that's why I like you. Because you can also get burned on those things easily What as well. People don't often yep. say, uh, see the downside to being aggressive. Um, the bigger piece that I like about him is he's actually a guy that's had success. He's not a guy that worked for a guy that had success. 
Sure. Um, and I think that's maybe what they went to the table with, with uh, Donatel. He was yeah. a guy that worked for Vic Fangio and had been in the room. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't mean that as a, a total slam against Donatel, but I think this is a guy that has done it before. He was the guy yeah. and he had some tremendous success in a lot of different places. Um, a lot of people don't remember, but he was actually a play caller in the one of the past Super Bowls where uh, the, the New England Patriots basically shut out one of the highest performing offenses in the league. So Rams. he has some yeah. pretty strong defensive chops that I'm really excited uh, to see how he brings that into Minnesota. But yeah. secondly, and probably more importantly, he is a phenomenal teacher. And I think yeah. uh, we'll start it more this off season. And I think it'll continue on for uh, quite a bit here in the near future and in the next two, three off seasons, but we have a lot of young players. And I think we need someone like that in terms of a presence in the room that can help guide these players on both the macro level philosophies and the micro or minor level um, nuances to each position and helping them really understand how to become a better player. So really excited for what he brings to the table. Yeah, I am too. And um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't put a stake in the ground for Flores uh, whatsoever. I don't know that he would have been my top choice, but I didn't think he was a poor choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are, are pros and cons to it just as there would be for any choice. You know, another thing I like though about Flores and the background, you're right, Giles, that he's a guy who had success. He's not a guy who worked for a guy who had success. So I think that's a very good point because that's what happens when you when you pluck certain coaches from certain coaching trees and they, they don't have success and you wonder why. And it's like, well, what was his role uh, mm-hmm. with the coach who was having success? Um, so, but if you look at Flora's background, it is with Belichick. Mm-hmm. And I think if you had to label Belichick as a 3-4 or a 4-3 guy, I think you would label him as a 3-4. But... Mm-hmm just simply labeling them and then walking away from it is not going to give you a real good picture of what they do. Belichick has a lot of even man front principles Mm -hmm. and even some games where they would play even fronts. And, and so that is probably ingrained in Flores. And while I think predominantly the Vikings will be a three, four defense with Flores, I do think they'll have four, three principles. And I think they'll do things schematically that a four, three defense might major in. And at the end of the day, it's all about your matchups and who you're playing. It's not about what your scheme is and what you do. And I think Flores will bring that sort of flexibility and fluidity uh, to the Vikings defense on top of the other, um, the other qualities and traits that he has that would make him a good coach that I mentioned before, young and energetic head coaching experience, propensity for aggression, uh, being a good teacher. I think all those things, um, you know, are, are to his credit. Let's talk about though, what is fair for an output here? Uh, because it's obviously an integrated sport game. It's, it's a team game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think most people though would say the Vikings offense pulled its weight for the most part last year and the Vikings defense did not. And you are left then to wonder what would have happened if instead of being the 30th or 32nd best defense, what if you were the 15th or the 20th? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about what's a fair expectation here. I, I think Flores comes in with high expectations. So I think the public will expect a significant jump. What exactly that means. I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, but what's fair here? Um, is it, how do we want to judge it? They got to be the best defense in the division. They got to be top 10. They got to be top five. You know, 
they're they're paired with a very high scoring offense that throws the ball around the yard and is going to probably put up 25 points a game. So on one hand, it's like, you don't need to be great. You just got to be good with an offense Mm -hmm. like that. On the other hand, I would say if you're playing with an offense that good, you should be able to do some special things on defense. Last year's team did not. So what's fair to expect? Uh, There is what I expect and what I think will happen, right? Those can be different things, but I honestly think it is not out of the realm of possibility to be at least a top five defense. The reason why I say that is twofold. One, PFF wise, people forget this, but we were the fourth graded or the fourth best team overall, according to PFF. Now to be explicitly clear, that is far more on the process side of the fence than it is on result, but it shows you, we really had a lot of good components, a lot of good bolts in it. We just didn't leverage it correctly, which is honestly more of an indictment on, on, uh, on Donatel. And I think we also had a severely lacking linebacker room that caused a lot of deficiencies elsewhere. So sure. if you address the linebacker room specifically, um, you make a few minor adjustments, maybe change out who you're starting in a, a few key positions and you bring in someone like Flores. I actually think you're at, you're able to let your, your major statistical elements outside of PFF match your PFF. If you stay okay. in the top five PFF wise, I think it's, it's not completely outlandish to say we could be top five. And additionally, something that no one's really talking about is Brian Flores's side of the fence. He was being considered for the head coaching job for the Arizona Cardinals. Yep. He was still the assistant head coach for the Steelers. Um, I think he had a whole number of opportunities across the board and he chose to come to Minnesota. Like he chose to come here. And if his yep. aspiration is to be a head coach somewhere else, there's no way in heck that he would have came here not thinking that he could do a phenomenal job with this. Yeah, I think he's too much true. of a defensive mind and he's too much of an ambitious personality to not want to go to the next level. Now, unfortunately, if he has success, he's going to be gone next year anyways. But if you go into it with that philosophy, he's a smart guy. He's had amazing defenses over the last 10, 20 years. Like he is a great, phenomenal coach that has had consistent results. A guy like that doesn't come to a place like this if he doesn't think he can do a good job. If he's trying right. to get a job next year, he thinks he can work with these pieces and make it phenomenal. So with that, I really think we have an opportunity. All right. So let's talk about top five or top 10 being the goal or the expectation. I really think that's fair because as poor as they played on defense last year, I should say as poor as the result was on defense last year, I don't think the fixes are that far away. You know, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that, but primarily the personnel is not, is not all bad in Minnesota. There, there are some players that they need to move on from that. Some of them are going to be hard choices to do that, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of good pieces in place. And it's a matter of finding a way to retain them. Uh, in the case of like Zedarius Smith, I think Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a chore to afford him and retain him or, you know, developing the guys, you know, you know, you're going to be able to keep some guys and now you got to develop them. So, Mm -hmm. um, so the manner by which they play the style, people are going to expect aggression. And I do think they're going to get that, but a stat that I found so interesting in the buildup to the Super Bowl this year was with regard to the Eagles who had one of the better defenses in the NFL. In fact, they led the NFL in sacks. 75% of their sacks came with a four-man rush, meaning they weren't pressuring blitzing to get to the quarterback. And the point is not the Vikings shouldn't be aggressive and blitz a lot. That is not the point at all. 
The point is it's not as simple as just rush, just send more guys after the quarterback. It's not that simple, right? Right. So whichever one you do, whichever way you go, you have to be able to execute it. Mm -hmm. And I'm more, there are some key personnel moves. I'm anxious to see what they, how they handle it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That one of those is corner. I can't wait to see like, are you able to keep Duke Shelley? What do you do with Patrick Peterson? Do you draft one in the first round? Can you develop Cam Dantzler? Like I, I look at Cam Dantzler as a guy where I was probably out on Dantzler, but now that they have Flores, I'm very interested in, in Dantzler. Uh, yeah. Because anyone I think, can fix him, it's him. Yeah, I mean, he's got that background in the, at that position and he's got a guy with a lot of talent who's maybe a little, a bit of a head case. So mm-hmm. I'm all about seeing what Dantzler has. Whereas if, if it would have been Donatel who stayed or Mike Pettin who they hired, I would have been like, I, I'd probably shy away from Dantzler, right? Yeah, so, time to hit the reset button in a few positions. <laughs> yeah, so there are some personnel things I'm excited to see how it unfolds, but I'm more interested in the um, the scheme, the style, the you know the chess of it. I'm more interested mm-hmm. in, in the chess match uh, than I am in like, are they going to draft one or who are they going to sign in free agency? To me, all that is kind of secondary. It's more about what's the scheme. Yep. You know, what are you going to be asking Daniel Hunter to do? What, yep. you know, what are you going to be asking Harrison Smith to do? And I saw another really interesting stat and then I'll, I'll let you get in here, Giles, but it was something like Harrison's, I wish I, I should, I should have kept it, but something about Her- the number of times that Harrison Smith came in on a blitz. Yep. And there was a game that Brian Flores was coaching where, where their safety blitzed more than that in one game than Harrison blitzed this season. Yep. So I'm just, I can't wait to see what, what the strategy is there. I I know the exact stat you're referencing. I can't remember the exact number, but it's something very minuscule. It's like less than 10, the entire season, Yeah. which when you contrast that over the averages for his entire career, night and day, like uh, we did not leverage Harrison Smith in the way that he is best leveraged because he's a highly intelligent player. If you can let him decide pre-snap how he's going to go tackle things and give him that flexibility. That's where you're really leveraging the true strength of Harrison Smith. Um, So I'm really excited to see what Brian Flores does with him. I think it, it all but guarantees that Harrison Smith is still on the team. Now I think cap hit wise, I think they were going to ask him to go take a pay cut anyways and keep him because that's the the most advantageous route for the Vikings. But I really think that will now be a strength um, under our defense in contrast to where it was last season. Um, The biggest position, though, is middle linebacker. And I'm really excited for Brian Asamoah, specifically under Brian Flores. I think the, the Brians are going to pair up and yeah. do some phenomenal things because I've said it before, I'll say it again. I mean, when we get to the back half of last year, we started to play a lot more man coverage, which is exactly what Brian Flores is bringing in. Now, someone like Duke Shelley, he's more of a dog mentality. He was physical enough to be able to keep up with that. He's not necessarily the size that you would want for a cornerback. He's very small. He's only like five foot 10. So he's a small guy specifically for cornerback, but plays aggressively and did really good considering his size. Um, And I would say Patrick Peterson did above average at that, but he's getting slow because he's a little bit older. All that to say our coverage did improve at the end of the season. And our defensive line was, I would say, similar to where it was before. It declined a little bit, and that was partially due to injury. But the point is, we were doing okay from the front, and then we were doing pretty good from the back. But the issue was, we were doing horribly in the middle, where they were able to get these little chunk plays off before two and a half seconds, and our defensive line didn't have time for plays to develop. So if you can fix the speed at the middle linebacker room, I really think that helps fix everything else. Because we did improve in a lot of categories once we started playing man. I think that's probably... Probably why they're ringing in Brian Flores, because they said, 
well, we were leaning in a positive direction towards the end of the season here. Maybe not necessarily the Giants game, but we were leaning in a good direction. Let's try to lean into that and go bring in someone that is specializing in this category. Yep. Totally agree with that. You know, the other thing too, that's going to, as you're, as you were kind of talking about that, I got to thinking an advantage of, so you, you have a transition at defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. your options, your, your replacement is going to be one of two. It's going to be someone that you promote from within your organization, or it's going to be someone from outside. Mm-hmm. Unless that person from the outside is someone who was recently with you left and now has come back, unless that's the case, the advantage that the person from the outside will have, or one advantage that person will have is not be, not have a prejudice of opinion on a player, right? Because it's like, you know, we drafted player X three years ago, and my report on him was shining. He ended up not being very good, but like I'm married to my opinion of him from the first and I want to vindicate myself. So I might make a bad judgment on keeping him because of that prejudice. Yep. You know, Flores is not going to have that. I mean, he's going to come in here. He probably had a whole bunch of ideas. Like that guy's got, that guy's got, that guy's got to go. Right. And no, like we're good on him. We're good on him. And yep. when you're coming from a position of weakness, which the Vikings defense is, I think that's a really healthy perspective to have. Right. And so yeah. it, it's almost like, um, like, I, I think that would be one of the biggest pros of Flores is because they were so bad production wise, he comes in with a fresh set of eyes mm-hmm. on the talent and isn't going to be afraid to lean toward getting rid of someone because he's got a relationship with them or he drafted him or he was responsible for developing them and he hasn't developed. So he's too prideful to admit that it was his fault. So he wants to keep mm-hmm. them. You know what I mean? So, yep. A hundred percent. And I think that pairs very well with the comment that you made a little bit earlier in regards to how he performed in new England and what uh, Bill Belichick's scheme uh, requires. And I think yeah. a lot of people are going to look at Brian Flores and say, he's a three, four guy and he's aggressive. And that's what I'm going to whittle him down into in, in terms of this little box. He's going to be three, four, and he's going to be aggressive. And now everything's going to be hunky dory. And although I do believe those two things to be true in a certain number of snaps, if you look back at the track record, whether it was in New England or in the, the Dolphins, he is someone that took the players that he specifically had and adapted his scheme to those players and achieved success that way versus I have absolute uh, um, philosophy driven elements for how we want to play defense and let's go find the rest of the guys yeah. that can work. It just takes a multi-year process to be able to do that. And I see him far more as let's, let's adapt our scheme to fit the players. And I'm really excited for what that does yeah. for our team, because it wasn't that way under Donatel. Yep. Let me ask you this then. Um, you mentioned that you think that Flores, although he's going to come in with fresh ideas and there might be a big change in personnel, you mentioned that you believe the Flores addition means Harrison Smith stays, mm-hmm. which I, I think you're right. Uh, I also believe that ideal state for the Vikings, both Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter are here. Do you agree? Okay. I agree. Even at their current cap hits, they're both criminally underpaid. They're both at like a $13 million cap hit, which I get that we're cap strapped. But if you were to look at that in a vacuum, those are very small cap hits for how great of edge players they are. Okay. Pay them. No questions asked. Let's say those three guys are in. I'll grant you, you've already said Asamoah over Kendricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's probably a savings there. 
But mm -hmm. if you're telling me that Harrison, Daniil, and Zadarius are here, I am saying then there needs to be some bargains elsewhere, personnel-wise. So let, mm -hmm. tell me, tell us what you think some of those are. Who, who are those guys? Are in, who are those guys in the building? Who's, who, who are the Brian Asamoahs at other positions yep. um, on the roster? And, or is this a free agent thing? Is it going to be fresh blood? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I do think the entire conversation is predicated on what you do with Kirk Cousins long-term. Mm -hmm. and, th and that is not even meant to be a shot at him. I know a lot of people like to speculate, oh, is Kirk going to be gone this season, off season? I don't actually care. I think the cap is so malleable that you can do basically whatever you want within reason. It's just uh -huh. a matter of, do you plan on moving off of him in a year or do you plan on keeping with him for another three to four seasons? Because that tells you how much you can manipulate his cap hit for this year, which obviously buys you a little bit of flexibility. But I think outside of the Kirk Cousins conversation, I think specifically starting with Harrison Smith, I think he's in a position where you can pretty reasonably go, go to him and ask him to take a pay cut so you can generate some cap savings there. Um, I'm a big Josh Metellus fan. I know we've talked about this a lot yep. before. Uh, I think his his demeanor and his play on the field reflects that he has the ability to be, go be a starter and be very productive and play at a high level. But I think the fact that he was voted in as a captain of the team shows that the entire locker room is bought into him. So yep. I would be shocked if he's not starting in the other safety position. And that yeah, that sounds like a shot at Cam Bynum. I don't mean it to be. Josh Metellus is, I think it's just that great. He was okay. a phenomenal player when he was on the field and I expect him to get a lot more snaps. So now in theory, if you're looking at that position, you've not only gotten cheaper, you've gotten better. And if yeah. you can do both of those things in a single move, you're in a great position, right? Yep. So I yep. think Josh Metellus getting the other safety position, awesome, awesome possibility. Um, I'm hoping with Duke Shelley that you can re-sign him at the, the outside cornerback position. I'm not going to play him inside. I want him specifically to be an outside cornerback, uh, but I'm hoping that you can leverage his size to say, we want you back. We love you. You've played phenomenally, but you're not going to go get starting caliber money elsewhere. You're going to go get paid, but you're not going to get starting caliber money elsewhere. Stay with us and we'll try to get you max dollars considering that you already know our room and you're respected and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, because I do think he would get paid. I think they would have to negotiate that in. But if you could get him at a a mid tier starting uh, pay, I think you do it. Um, although there, you know, there could be some regression. I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, so if you can get Duke Shelley, then let's do that. Now, obviously, the entire team and your caps uh, scenario is malleable. Where you want, if you make one move, that's going to have a uh, uh, an impact on the rest of the team. But I think there's a strong likelihood that they draft a corner in the first round. Now, obviously yeah. if you trade for T Higgins, you have to reformulate, reformulate yeah. your entire, your uh, off season strategy. But I think in a vacuum, I do think that they take a cornerback unless, 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 unless you make a, a gun at a, uh, an established younger cornerback and uh, like someone like Xavier Howard comes to mind where yeah, like do you okay. try to make a run at that right he obviously yeah, yeah. knows him he did help develop him heck um do you try to make a run at that right knowing that we want to show up our defense and the the best way to show off daniel hunter and zadarius smith is to have a secondary and a middle linebacker room that allows plays to last yeah. longer than two and a half seconds yes yes even if you're not great you just need to keep it longer than two and a half seconds and both of those guys are going to be to the quarterback so true i mean pass coverage is you know, is a mix of coverage and rush. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. and you have Lawrence Taylor rushing, but if no one can cover the quarterback can get the ball out. 
you can have Deion Sanders covering, but if no one can get to the quarterback, I mean, someone's going to get open eventually. Right. So, yep. yep you need to have both. Um, yep. But going back to your original conversation, I do think I might be extending Daniel Hunter because I think he is criminally underpaid and he's on the last year of his deal. So even if you want to trade him next off season, extend him now. So then you keep him happy. You lower the cap mm -hmm. hit for this year. Interesting. Yeah. You could even make the argument to do a low key extension of Zedarius Smith, extend that cap hit out. Um, Cause then you also have him under contract and you could trade both of them. If you wanted to ne next off season, if you wanted to hit more of a reset button, but if you're trying to go all in, so to speak for 2023 without, you know, selling the farm away, you know, down the road, I think you try to extend both of them in some way, shape or form. I would give Daniil Hunter a lot longer extension than I would Zedarius, but uh -huh. use that to get some flexibility. Um, if you can bring back um, Dalvin Tomlinson, I think that's another big addition because he was a good yep. player internally. Now, if he's going to get top money, which he might, I would consider switching away from Dalvin Tomlinson and going to Hargrave from the Eagles. He yeah. had a phenomenal season and he even had a, a more phenomenal Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, if you watched him, he was a game wrecker where if you're going to get similar cap hits against the both of them, I would consider bringing in Hargrave. But if you can bring in one of those guys, I think you can piece the rest of the defensive line together. Um, where I think Kyrie's Tonga is another one that he's already under contract. So like, let's run it back with him. I really think give him another year in our system. And I think we're going to get even better results. Um, but I think with that, if you run the numbers, I think you can fit all that under the cap. Obviously there's a lot of ifs, but yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the secondary mm -hmm. and, the, and the corners. You mentioned first round pick being a corner. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's not though, for yep. whatever reason. Yep. Um, they don't like who's there. Mm -hmm. Everyone they liked was taken, um, whatever. I wonder with the background that Flores has and the confidence that he would have in his ability to develop guys, if he would be like, no, we're good with Shelly, Booth, Evans. Evans, Boyd, you know, and a third round pick probably, you know, I wonder yeah. if he would say, no, we're, we're good. And then you go down the route of what we saw in the Super Bowl with the Eagles and the Chiefs, where it's just a bunch of bullies on both mm -hmm. sides of the ball. Go bulk up. Yep. Yep. And then we're going to pour our, our resources into that, yep. you know, drafting and free agent signing. Yep. Bring Eisen back Dalvin Tomlinson and the get <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, something like that, you know, honestly, I, I like the, too. you're thinking there um, because when you get aggressive, um, if you can get cheap and young um, and not be a train wreck, I think that could be a really interesting element where if they can just keep up for two and a half seconds, if you keep Daniel Hunter and Zedarius Smith and you have some premier interior rushers, I think you might be onto something there. Like yeah. commit to having one of the best defensive lines in football and then yep. know that let's not be a train wreck in the secondary, but if they can yep. at least keep up for two and a half seconds, yep. there won't be any other route, but uh, for us to sack them or them, for them to throw mm -hmm. the ball away. Exactly right. You know, and, and that's where I was going is we're talking about Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter, like uh, one might have to go or you got to extend them. And, and it's like, I think we've, we, we get taught over and over again, but it's easy to forget. Like you need to be bully, a bully in the trenches. You know, you, yeah. you do. It wasn't just this year that that was unveiled. I mean, that yeah. that's usually the case. We just forget about it. Cause it's a little bit sexier to talk about corners and receivers. Right. So mm -hmm. You always, and so it's like, if, if you have that, mind, that mindset, 
having both Hunter and Smith is a good start. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, if you're talking about trading one of them or not being able to keep one of them, it's like, oh, that, that's a setback there. Yeah. You know, so. And if you're trying to hang your hat on something, I think we're a lot closer to having an elite defensive line than we would be a secondary. I mean, just being completely honest in terms For of sure. the number of moves you can make in an off season. And really, if, I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit more later in the episode, but if you look at the overall Super Bowl landscape between the Eagles and the Chiefs, obviously when you get to the end, when you get to the game, you're going to have a great team you're playing against, right? So if you yeah. fast forward to 2023 and the Vikings make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to be playing another team that is great, right? Yeah. They're going to have a lot of, lot of strengths on the other side of the ball. And when you looked at the Eagles, for example, they had the best offensive line in football, right? Yes. I mean, although we wouldn't be playing them because they're in the NFC, but just follow my logic here. They were great up front on the offensive line to the point where I don't think the Chiefs defensive line was really in a place where they could effectively combat that where pretty much every quarterback sneak the Eagles offensive line literally just toyed around with their defensive line they literally pushed them over I'm like they have no chance it wasn't even it wasn't those third and ones and fourth and ones weren't even close I mean you you weren't even wondering if they would stop them correct I wasn't I mean yeah Exactly. So if you're trying to really build a formula for winning a Super Bowl, I think you're right. I think you have to beef up on the interior. And once again, it's a lot easier to try to maintain a, or to achieve an elite defensive line with us than it is to achieve a, an elite secondary. Uh, if you're going to so. hang your hat on something, just get someone that's not a train wreck in the secondary, someone that can hang for two and a half seconds. Um, if you play aggressively, I think that'll account for at least a second and a half maybe. So then you yeah. just need players that are good enough to hang that last second, you know, or a half a second. And then if yeah. you can really do that, I think you can maybe get to, you know, a, a top five or above in sacks, pressures and above. Yep. Yep. Okay. Last thing here for me um, is the going back to the topic of, you know, what, what is the name of the game? What's, what's the scheme? You know, I, I mentioned I'm more interested in that that stylistic answer than I am in some of the personnel answers. Both are interesting, but I guess it's because we've talked about the personnel side of this so much that we kind of have a beat on what the options are. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really want to know what the scheme and style is going to be. And, and simply as simple as does Daniil have his hand in the dirt or is he standing up, you know, and are you going to be asking Smith and Hunter to cover? as, Mm -hmm. as, you know, outside linebackers, or are they primary rush guys? Are you going to do something in the exotic way that we saw, you know, the three, four version of an exotic look Mm -hmm. similar to what Mike Zimmer would do in a four, three, where we, he would have two linebackers in the a gap and Harrison Smith on the line of scrimmage outside of an end. Mm -hmm. Like what I want to know what that is, what that looks like, you know, for Brian Flores. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot guys to have an answer to that. I'm just saying like, and, and I won't get a look at that until, you know, until preseason, because I'm not going to be at the offseason program and OTA. I'm not going to see that. I'm normally I would see that, but we're not going to see that until August. And I'm very curious to know what that looks like, you know? And I'm very clearly not as intelligent as Brian Flores. Otherwise, I'd be in a different line of work. Um, But if you're uh, analyzing the past season, if you're Brian Flores and trying to understand what worked and what didn't and what do we need to change, I think one of them is uh, Daniel Hunter and Zedarius Smith dropping back into coverage too much. Um, 
which obviously that's the principle of the original three, four defense that we were, we were tackling. Right. Yeah. Um, but with those players, specifically Daniel Hunter, I think that was part of the reason that you had such a problem in the middle of the field is because some snaps you had Daniel Hunter out there. Like he is a phenomenal player in a lot of categories, but mm-hmm. running to the ball is not one of them in that capacity. You want a fast middle linebacker, um, to that, to that, uh, effect. Right. And yep. I think, uh, I, I really expect him to come to the same conclusion. Um, which means I expect him to have his hand in the dirt the majority of the time. Um, but yeah. maybe we'll, we'll see something different, but that's my assumption here, but that's, what's really exciting about this off season is that we get to speculate and then see if it comes true come season time. Yep. That's right. All right. Anything else you wanted to empty out of your notebook on Flores and the defense before we put a bow on this part of the show and move on to the Super Bowl? Um, I think lastly, I mean, if we're, we're thinking about the, the moves you need to make to become a top five, top 10, or even a number one overall defense, the, the, the route to get there isn't as long as many people think. Yeah. Bringing in Brian Flores is already making you light years better. I truly expect, even if we were truly horrible last year, that Brian Flores would get us back to even or get us back to average. And I think our personnel is actually way better than most people realize. So Agreed. I think if you make a few changes, make Brian Osamoa the starter, put in Josh Metellus as a starter, you're instantly going to get to get faster at those positions, have a few meet uh, one to two marquee free agent signings. Sounds like maybe we're in agreement that we should do that on the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Hargrave from the Eagles, maybe both of them um, that I think we actually have a chance of getting to top five. And if you make the assumption that the offense, even if it stays exactly the same as it was last year, personnel wise, they're going to take a step forward performance wise, because it'll be a, another year in a system um, that they're familiar with. And mind you, this will be the first time in Kirk Cousins history that he's had the same play caller two seasons in back a row. To back. Yeah. I expect him to take a significant leap forward. Um, I expect that. And I also think that. Um, I really think that we're going to have a phenomenal offense next year. So if you pair an improved offense that was already pretty good in a lot of categories and you pair up with a top five defense, I think you might seeing us uh, performing come February. Yeah. I mean, that that's a great formula. And we talked about this with specific regard to the wide receiver room. And we were, we were talking about what are the keys to having great production there to having the best wide receiver room or to having productive wide receivers. I, I, and I said, you need a system, you need the quarterback and you need talent at wide receiver. And Mm -hmm. you talking about cousins having the same play designer and play caller for two years in a row, that is speaking to the system component of that Mm -hmm. having a system. Yes. Cousins has pretty much always been in the same system, but it wasn't his system, right? It wasn't his, he was playing in someone else's. He was playing in Shanahan's, Mm -hmm. right? He was playing in Kubiak's. He was playing in Stefanski's so, Mm -hmm. or whoever, you know, Uh, but now this is becoming his it's O'Connell's, but it's his right. Like now two years in a row, he can say, this is, he'll always say this is ours, but I mean, now it's becoming the cousins system when you do it two years in a row, three years in a row. And because his head coach, is the offensive coordinator and play caller per se, mm-hmm. as long as he cousins is in Minnesota, he's going to have this hundred percent. You know what I mean? Because yep. he's not playing for a defensive head coach where the offensive coordinator changes. So does the whole offense. Mm-hmm. Now, if Wes Reynolds, who is the offensive coordinator leaves, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who comes in. It's the same system. Yep. 
that's why it's so beneficial to have an offensive head coach. All due respect to all the defensive guys. It's a lot harder to replace the offensive guy than it is a defensive guy. Neither are easy, but I'd much rather uh, replace the defensive guy. Yep. um, If you're going to have success. And I think if you analyze Kirk cousins, he is very clearly an overthinker. I mean, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. He has a lot of strengths, but one of his weaknesses is that he's an overthinker. Sometimes it's even a strength for him, but looking at it in a negative light, he is a guy that tries to second guess what someone means, um, where he overanalyzes things. He's a highly prepared individual. So if you pair that with a second year in a system, he's going to learn that secondhand nature with Kevin O'Connell that much better, where he's now going to second guess things even less um, than he typically would be, which is where you, I think you unlock her cousin's true strengths when he's not getting inside his head thinking like, Oh, well, I think you want me to do this, or I think you want me to do this. He's viewing his entire approach, so to speak on what do you want me to do? Right. Um, some people look at that as a negative. I actually looked at it as a positive. He is a, he's a, a Navy seal and he'll go do what you ask, but sometimes there's a lot more nuance in things, right. Where I'm asking you to throw this ball. Well, did you mean it this way? Or did you mean it this way? And if you can really fine tune that and have him even better understand what uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell wants going into year two, that's kind of one of the reasons that I think he's going to take a big step forward. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk Super Bowl. Let's, um, let's go over some of the high points that you had or, or the, uh, yeah, that, that was our rooting interest, I believe. Right. Weren't we all rooting for them? Yeah. So, um, what were some of your, uh, some of your takeaways or some of your high points from the Super Bowl? I'll go first with mine, with one of mine. Um, I thought, I don't know that you can realistically give the MVP to someone on the losing team, but I think I, this is as close as I've ever been to like having that opinion. I mean, Jalen hurts was remarkable. Uh, he had Second an answer. round pick, just phenomenal. Yep. I mean, he had an answer for everything. He mm-hmm. threw for over 300 yards. You know, he was, he had a bunch of rushing yards in the first half, the quarterback sneaks. Um, just, I, I just was a wow performance for me. And although I was not rooting for the Eagles, I find it very easy to root for Jalen Hurts. Agreed. He has an amazing story behind him. And I forget the exact stat, but I believe teams that score more than 35 points in a Super Bowl are something like 39 and one or something. Yeah. And the one came this past week. Oh my God. It was the first time someone had lost having scored 35 points. Like there's not much he could have done better. Now, for being overly critical, the fumble early in the game, I think lost in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're trying to really pare it down. Um, but I mean, mistakes happen. It, it happens. And uh, yeah. they were very close to winning, but they couldn't quite squeak it out. Yep. Incredible. I thought his performance was, was, it was very fun to watch. And in many ways from a numbers standpoint, certainly he outperformed Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes had like 180 <laughs> passing yards, you know? So, yep. um, but not taking anything away from Mahomes, who gutted it out with a bad ankle and won the game. So anyway, um, that was one of mine, you know, a wild performance from Jalen Hurts. How about you guys? I think uh, it's a true example of where the league has been heading and is continuing to head uh, in the fact that it's a high scoring league. You need yeah. to prepare both your offense, and your defense for those types of formulas. Now, if you can stop other teams from scoring, great. But I think it's it's trying to prevent the other team from scoring 40 versus trying to prevent the other team from scoring 10 or yeah. 20. Right. I think yeah. whenever you're playing high performing teams at the Super Bowl, 
they're going to score points on you. They're going to perform. It's just a matter of holding them somewhat at bay and using your defense as a chess piece to try to out scheme the other team and your offense needs to put a ton of points on the board. I think you need to be able to yep. put the pedal on the metal and have enough offensive capabilities to be able to score on demand. And I think yeah. the chiefs are obviously an amazing example of that. Now, obviously we reviewed their wide receiver room. I think that's giving credit so much more to, to Mahomes that he's able to leverage the, the suboptimal assets that he has, obviously he has Kelsey, but other than that, like, there's some deficiencies on that side and oh, he's yeah. just that much better to be able to rise above. But when you think about the different ways to achieve offensive success, I think it puts the priority on making sure that you have that going into the season. Yeah. Um, if you truly try to win a Super Bowl, if that is part of the goal here, you need to try to build a formula around the existing pieces you have to maximize offense and try to maintain on defense. So that's yeah. where like, although we do need to shore up our defense, we do need to make sure that we do not decline in any way uh, on the, the offensive side of the ball. If our center goes away, we better make darn sure that we find a good replacement. Now, I'm obviously of the opinion that we should go find Mike, uh, John Michael Schmitz from the Gophers, but yeah. shore up the interior for good. But I think it really emphasizes this, the league is scoring a lot of points, period. But also, when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, although they did not win, they are built in a lot of different ways. But one of their biggest strengths is their offensive line. They are able to do so much because of that. And yep. because they're able to do so much, it makes them unpredictable, which then in addition makes them that much more productive. Agreed. Yep. Agreed. All right, Chase, how about you? Yeah. Um, I agree with the Jalen hurts. Everything you said about Jalen, I thought he played phenomenally. Um, but the other guy that I really want to touch on is Devonte Smith. I yeah. thought that he, uh, someone who came into the league with so much controversy um, on one hand, winning the Heisman. On the other side, um, everyone calling him too small, too skinny, too short. Um, I thought it was really cool that he was able to show out on the biggest stage. Um, but then one other guy that I thought was really well, or that played really well, was Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. Um, not that he had the greatest statistical game or carried the Chiefs in any way, but I thought he did. He did his job really well, yeah. um, and I'm really excited to, you know, keep an eye on him next year. So. Yeah, I, I think he's uh, a example of a like the way he plays. He plays really hard, and mm -hmm. it's almost like he may not time as fast in a agility drill or a speed drill as someone, but the style, the manner in which he runs. I mean, he's hard to tackle. He's mm -hmm. um, he's really fun to watch, uh, you know. And he's an example of just Andy Reid trading away Tyreek Hill and going with Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore and getting Kadarius Tony and making it work with Pacheco. Like he just, Jarek McKinnon. It's like, if you've got the system and the scheme and the quarterback, I mean, it does, you know, it doesn't matter you who. Can anything more. Yeah, I think so. You know, so yeah. Um, how about the holding penalty? What'd you guys think of that? I, I don't know. I'm usually of the opinion that you should just let him play. It's the biggest game of the year. Just let the guys go after it. Um, I do think it was holding, but yeah. I, I, I would be the opinion that you, you adjust the rules in those games, maybe a little bit to let them yeah. give them a little leeway. Now, I believe he came out after the game and said, it was me. It was a hold. I was holding. Yeah. I just didn't think they'd call it. Well, it, it was, it was a hold. I think it stopped a touchdown. I, I agree. I mean, yep. I, well, I don't know that because I can't, I can't see you know, we don't know what would have happened, but I mean, it wasn't an errantly thrown pass. Uh, that was the pass landed in the end zone. So mm -hmm. 
I think it's fair to say, like, that's one of those deals where I don't think Bradbury knew he was beat. And so he overtly like tripped the receiver that that is not what happened. But if that does happen to you, like you're totally beat. And if you don't throw your leg out and trip him, it's a touchdown. You should throw your leg out and trip him. (laughs) I mean, 15 yard penalty is a lot better than touchdown. Exactly. So I think, I think what Bradbury did was a penalty, but I also think it stopped a touchdown and was in a, in a vacuum was worth the infraction in, in that situation It lost the game Mm -hmm. uh, because the chiefs were able to just run the clock out and kick a field goal. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was a penalty. The ref saw a penalty and called it. I I don't have a huge, a huge problem with the flag there. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I'd love it if it wouldn't have been thrown you know, but if it wasn't thrown and then the chiefs kick a field goal and then the Eagles win the game, I mean, the chiefs would have a a fair complaint that that wasn't called Mm -hmm. like that was a penalty, you know? So definitely Uh, a game effector. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, chiefs offensive line, I thought played incredible. I mean, Mahomes was not sacked. Um, oh, I, you're, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, no, honestly, their, their biggest weakness was that right tackle. And I think he was able to perform. Okay. Yep. Uh, considering yep. that the, the Eagles do have a pretty good defensive line. I think Very they good. were number two in sacks. Now, uh, I believe, or I'm sorry, the, it was the other way around the, the chiefs were number two in sacks. The, the Eagles were number one number in sacks one. by a wide yeah. margin, yeah. um, by like 12 sacks actually. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, definitely a, a praise to the, the offensive line for the chiefs hundred yep. percent. A couple more here. Um, the field conditions were terrible. Uh, I, you know, the guys were slipping all over the place. I thought that was too bad. They spent Gr- like a million dollars on that field from what I, I understand. I, it's just sad. From what I understand, it, um, and I could totally be wrong about this, but reading between the lines, uh, listening to some comments from people talking, just talking on TV, I think they did something So whenever you hear like they painted the grass, you're thinking like the logos and the end zones. Mm -hmm. But I thought I heard someone mentioning like they they used green a substance to make the grass look greener. I heard that as well. Yeah. So uh, awful, awful outcome. If if that's what led it to being more slippery, ugh. I mean, clearly, almost every player had two to three different cleats by the end of the the game that they had used. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll take brown grass and good footing in the Super Bowl over green grass and poor footing. I really would. I mean, yep. um, Oh, and then my last note here, uh, there's, is actually two notes, but it, they're really the same. The Eagles lose both of their coordinators to head coaching jobs and the chiefs probably will lose Eric B I think to the commanders as offensive coordinator, which is looks, it appears as if that's a lateral move, but it's really a little bit of a jump up because Ron Rivera is the head coach for the commanders and he's a defensive guy. So the yeah. will be the play designer, the play he'll call all the shots on offense. He, he'll be yeah. the opposite of what the Vikings would have here with mm-hmm. O'Connell as the offensive coordinator and head coach and Flores mm-hmm. running the defense. So uh, interesting that, that the uh, Super Bowl teams will lose a combined three coordinators, which often happens to the teams playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, there's a reason that the Super Bowl teams or the teams that go to the final game oftentimes have a regression the following year yeah. um, where they, they take a step back. And uh, sometimes that's because of salary cap and they have to lose some players, but it's also because of coaching. Because yep. if you went to the Super Bowl and especially if you won, everyone's going to want your guys. Yep, that's right. 
All right, let's uh, close the show by closing for now our discussion on the wide receivers, uh, guys. And uh, we'll pick up kind of where we left off last week. Uh, and, you know, we, we cleared the way for a pretty sensational move for the Vikings to acquire T. Higgins in a trade. And mm-hmm. the line of thinking there was when you're constructing your wide receiver room, how did you get there? And we talked about the Bengals who really got there in a grassroots fashion, drafting all three of their top three receivers. Then we talked about um, teams like the Dolphins and the Eagles, both of whom, yes, did draft good receivers. The Dolphins, Jalen Waddell, as an example, the Eagles, Devonta Smith, as an example, but they also both went the unnatural route of acquiring one. The Dolphins acquiring Tyreek Hill in a trade, the Eagles acquiring AJ Brown in a trade. Mm-hmm. And then the third approach was sort of like, it doesn't matter who you got because you got Rogers or you got Mahomes or whoever, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, you can throw whoever you want out there. So, and we we're talking about if the Vikings go the way the Eagles and Dolphins went, here's one thing they could do. You already drafted a great one in Jefferson, go acquire one in a trade and get T Higgins, right? So that's sort of what we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's sort of put a bow on this because we believe, um, speaking for us guys, we believe that if the Vikings do not get substantially better production from wide receivers, not named Justin Jefferson, the team as a whole will regress because scoring points, offense, wide, QB wide receiver is what this team hangs its hat on. So mm-hmm. that better be a, a high rung up on the, on the coat hanger. Right. And so how do we make sure that rung is as high as it can get? And that's sort of where I'll stop recapping it. Um, I see a lot of mock drafts giving the Vikings Jordan Addison. So mm-hmm. would a first round wide receiver be acceptable to you guys? Or are you more of the, let's do what the Dolphins did and the Beng- and the uh, Eagles did and, and go get one via trade or free agency? Obviously there's different ways to crack the egg. Um, yep. And let's say that you make subsequent moves on the other parts of the team that allows you to not or prevents you from not getting T Higgins. And you say, we have to go improve via the draft. Um, Honestly, there's five names in my opinion that I would try to go after. Um, Although Jordan Addison is definitely on that list. um, I would actually say he's maybe, maybe third on my list in terms of who I would pick if I have my pick of the litter. Are Um, you ready to unveil the others? Let's do it. Honestly. Well, I'm going to start at uh, number five and we'll work our way up. Okay. Um, so I'm going to start with a guy from North Carolina. He's five foot 10, 175 pounds. I feel like I'm announcing for the uh, uh, WWE here. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, he's from North Carolina and his name is Josh Downs. Yep. And honestly, he's a, a slot receiver. He's very shifty, has good hands. Um, I truly think he'd be a great wide receiver three mm-hmm. and someone that can live on the inside of the field. So, like, if I'm really ranking, what do I want to go fill? Josh Downs is not at the top of my list but he would be a phenomenal slot receiver. I think, um, you know, he uh, came from North Carolina, um, didn't necessarily play great against competition, but I think he'd be a good top tier receiver if you can't get anyone else. So that'd be the the bottom of my list. Um, The next would be Jackson Smith. And I always uh, mispronounce this, but Nijigma um, from Ohio State. Yep, Yep. Uh, 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, A lot of people compare him to Chris Olave or to Garrett Wilson. Um, He is coming off an injury, so you have to keep that in mind, but uh, that doesn't necessarily concern me. Um, But 
honestly, I'm really excited to see what he can do in the NFL. Um, I think he'd be a great, uh, great element. He was 20th on PFF's top hundred prospect list. So he'll be right there around where you're picking. Um, so if you're looking for a good wide receiver, he'd definitely be one of them. Um, the next, and this is where I go back and forth. I think it is Jordan Addison from USC, mm -hmm. six foot tall, 175 pounds. Um, you know, a lot of people compare him to Devonte Smith or uh, Devonta Smith. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you watch the Super Bowl and you were trying to replicate that, um, definitely go after Jordan Addison. He is actually 23rd on the PFF top 100 list. So he's sure. exactly projected to be where we would be yeah. drafting at. So um, an interesting element to try to, to try to go after get a very uh, productive college career um, has an awesome wide receiver name on top of it. Jordan Addison just sounds like a wide receiver name. It does. Um, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> obviously that goes to the top of your list of criteria when you're drafting right. is their name, right? right? Um, but ultimately Jordan Addison would be on the list. Um, the next, I think I'm going to say Quentin Nelson from TCU. He's a six foot four, 215 pound receiver. He's a big dude. Yep. Um, I would say he is essentially a slower DK Metcalf. Um, okay. he's a true wide receiver. He excels in run blocking, uh, contested catches is right where he's at. Um, and if you're drafting him at this high, I think uh, you're drafting him based on his production at TCU this last year. He was really, really good. Um, so if you're looking for a big, bulky, somewhat fast wide receiver, not as fast as, uh, as DK Metcalf, but fast, big outside wide receiver, this is yeah. your guy. Okay. Um, I think if you are planning on downgrading a little bit at your tight end room, and I do mean that in quantity, not in production, if you get rid of a tight end, I think Quinton Nelson or uh, Quinton uh, Johnson rather would be a guy that could step in as a pseudo tight end because he's big enough to play the position. So okay. that would be number two on my list. And honestly, for me, number one is Zay Flowers from Boston oh, College. He's five wow. foot 10, 170 okay. pounds. He's 19th on PFF top 100 list. Um, Honestly, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a data scientist and he compared him to a Walmart version of Debo Samuel. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. And if you're looking at what could help our offense explode in the 2023 season, having a versatile player like Debo Samuel or like Zay Flowers, I think makes you so dimensional. It gives you so many different ways that you could leverage him. Now, obviously he's a wide receiver that could play more of the aggressive style versus a running back that can play wide receiver. But I really am intrigued by a big stocky, thick wide receiver that I think uh, very explosive has a tremendous upside was very fast. I think you could get a lot of, a lot of benefit out of that. Now, obviously when it comes to TF or PFF's top 100, Quentin Nelson or uh, Quentin Johnson rather is, is a little bit higher on the list, but Zay flowers is where I'm going. Number one. I also, what I like about the idea of a Zay Flowers type player, mm -hmm. if you want to use the high-end comparison or the model, what I like about Debo Samuel is Kevin O'Connell is equipped mentally and experiment with his experience. He's equipped to implement something like that into the offense, mm -hmm. you know, um, and not, not really, not every, not every play caller is truthfully. No. I mean, yeah. but I think O'Connell would be able to do that. Andy Reed would be able to do that. Obviously Kyle Shanahan is able to do that. Um, so that's very intriguing. That style of player, the Zay yep. flowers, and it's a very good to, to talk high level here, Giles. It's a very good illustration of the reasoning behind variance in how teams grade 
players and how mm-hmm. they may stack players at the same position. Agreed. A, a team with a very heavy offensive influence or offensive focus likely will rate Zay Flowers higher mm-hmm. than a team that does not have that influence on offense. They, yep. You want something more out of the box yep, that you can I just run with. Yep. Yes. So that's really interesting um, because the list I am referencing as we're talking about this okay. is not as high on Zay Flowers as you are. Um, okay. Nor are they as high on Zay Flowers as PFF is. However, they probably are looking at it from a number standpoint and a ranking state, like just from a very black and, and white standpoint. Yeah. Yep. The way you, I think you look at it and PFF looks at it is the, the way an offensive coordinator or a play designer would look at it. And mm-hmm. there is so much potential there with flowers, so much versatility there that that increases his ranking in, in your eyes. Um, yeah. So very interesting. And I'm excited to put my eyes on flowers uh, when he's doing things like the combine or the pro day. And then eventually um, we'll carve out some time in, in the schedule to watch, maybe watch some tape, but uh, I'll be excited to watch him. Uh, I, I don't believe I ever saw him play a game on TV. I don't know that I watched Boston college play a game in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I don't have any, you know, uh, natural opinions on him, but I'm excited to watch him play. If the, if the comparison is, is Debo Samuel, that's fun. Yeah. If you can go grab that and actually achieve that type of potential, you do whatever necessary. I know there's thought about us trading back to try to acquire more capital, but if he's there at 23 right now, unless something changes during the combine, I think I take him. Uh, yeah. now if John Michael Schmitz is there, oh boy, yeah. you really put me in a pickle, well, but I think he uh, is going to be there. <laughs> I really think he will be as well. I think he is going to be there, but. So you're really going to have to try to decide how you want to tackle things. But I think both of those players are phenomenal, but in the vacuum of wide receiver, I think Zay flowers is where I want to be. Now there's a lot of speculation that there is going to be an aggressive amount of trades in this draft. Uh Um, I think it's going to start with the number one overall pick, to be honest. I think the bears are going to trade out of that. I think that's getting moved. Yeah, I do think so. Now they don't need a quarterback wrong. But I I really think that's going to have a ripple effect across all the rest of the league where people are going to realize, Oh, my drafting strategy is now out the window because I was expecting them to go first and take this player. And second was going to take this player. So you're going to see people that are going to be trading up to then get above where they thought they could get uh, a player that they really want or need. And that's going to send a ripple effect throughout the entire first round. So all that to say, in that amount of shuffle, there's a chance that some of these good wide receivers get pushed down the draft board because quarterbacks are going to go early. There's going to be run at certain positions Yeah, that I think wide receivers specifically as a position for this draft will downgrade a little bit towards the end of the first round. Interesting. So uh, another interesting part about the way we talk about this the last couple of weeks, the way we have is, you know, last week we talked, the discussion last week was really about this sensational move to acquire a wide receiver via trade and to emulate the model the Eagles and Dolphins recently used Mm -hmm. and to go get T Higgins. And then we were exchanging messages after we recorded saying, Hey, here was the AJ Brown deal. You know, they gave up this for him and then they, it was four years, a hundred million, 25 per year. Would you do that for Higgins? And so, and, and when we were talking about this and then the, a couple of days afterwards, guys, I was like, I, I, I kind of like that. I'm kind of in on that. They should maybe think about doing that. Okay. Yeah. A week later, we're talking about, 
Guile's five favorite receivers in the draft and, <laughs> you know, the way the Bengals do it and it's all grassroots and natural. And, and now I'm kind of like, ah, that, that, yeah, I kind of like that. Like, like use all your free agent resources and trades and all that and go bulk up on the interior and just do the mm-hmm. receivers naturally. So mm-hmm. it just goes to show you, like you said, Giles, there's more than one way to crack the egg. And, you know, we, we spend a, an hour recording and more, a few more hours like preparing for the show, texting each other, emailing each other. Right. So, but I mean, we're, we're in the, a few hours of amount of time that we're dedicating to this. And we have that variance of opinion where we can be really excited about one way and then equally as excited about the other. And we're not even running a team. So when you're running a team, if we're spending a few hours on it, I mean, they're spending, you know, a hundred hours a week on it Mm -hmm. and they can't, they have to get to a point where they decide which route they're going. Correct. They can't jump back and forth. They have to start the wheels in motion to go down that route. And then they have to execute at every step along the way. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a difficult, long, hard process, you know, and with a lot of variables. Exactly. And a lot of consequences, you know? (laughs) Yeah, correct. Probably your job if you don't do things right a few times in a row. Yeah. So, and I think that really factors into this. I think most people don't uh, realize the other half of the conversation when it comes to drafting certain players or identifying players, even in free agency, um, right. in the idea that, you know, what positions you need and, you know, I can either go get T Higgins or I can go get Zay flowers. I also have a need at center. I can either go, go acquire someone via free agency, or I could go draft John Michael Schmitz mm-hmm. internally right now. What do I feel most comfortable evaluating and what is the risk reward ratio where I'm taking a risk on Zay flowers. I think he might be Debo Samuel, but he could also be Laquan Treadwell, right? Like he could be a complete bust. Well, if I feel very prepared from a wide receiver room standpoint to draft and identify those people, then take a stab at the draft where you feel like you have a a pretty low variance Mm -hmm. uh, between where I think he is and what he could be. Even if he's not as good as I think he is, he'll still be at least this right. Uh, Versus if I don't feel like I can do that with the offensive line, always go towards the sure, the sure thing when it comes to those positions, yeah. wherever you feel like you have an above average ability to identify lean into that. Right. Yep. Um, yep. That's where I think the Vikings respectfully did it wrong. These past few years, when it came to the offensive line, we took a lot of stabs at the draft and we hit on a few of them. Obviously we got lucky with Christian Darrison, Brian O'Neill. Uh, but outside of that, yep. I think those positions maybe should have handled uh, via free agency. And I mean that with all due respect, I think, uh, uh, Spielman was good in a lot of categories and drafted some phenomenal players in some pretty great places, but wasn't always that great at identifying interior offensive linemen. That was an area where just know that about yourself. I'm not really good at identifying the variance for our interior offensive line. Let's go acquire that for a sure thing. And then let's draft somewhere else, you know, for a, an area that we feel very confident in. Yeah. So then it's a matter of the Kevin O'Connell and Quasi regime to understand what are our strengths and weaknesses from that capacity and then build a game plan from there. Exactly. Hey, you know, another thing I thought of too is the presence of TJ Hawkinson in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Almost, it's almost like that, that idea of go out and sensationally acquire a WR2 like T Higgins or, mm-hmm. you know, obviously AJ Brown for the Eagles is their number one, but and Tyreek yeah. Hill for the Dolphins is their number one, but go out and get a second guy in a sensational way. They kind of already did that with Hawkinson in a way. That's fair. 
Because if you want to count Hawkinson as your two, and then KJ Osborne and Zay Jaylen Flowers <laughs> uh, and Jalen Naylor combining yeah. <laughs> as your three, that that's kind of as strong as a really big one and two and kind of a no one at three. So yeah, just something to think about there, you know, because yeah. I think you you are better as an offense if Hawkinson is getting a bunch of targets. Like I, I absolutely, you know, he he's not just like your run of the mill tight end. No, like he he's he's. Give him a full off season. I'm expecting him to be a top five tight end in pretty much every statistical category. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far on this and call him a special player, but like Hawkinson was a great fit here. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they had a vision for what they wanted out of that position. They went and traded for it and got it. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about building the wide receiver room, let's really think of it more as we're building the pass catcher room Mm -hmm. and, and include Hawkinson in the inventory of what is already on hand. And yeah. maybe that dissuades you from, oh, let's go all in on T Higgins, you know, and, yeah. and do it more naturally via the draft, which allows you to save capital, draft capital and cap room mm-hmm. to go and address other areas like yeah. Javon yeah. Hargrave or whoever Brian Flores wants to get up, James Bradbury, right? Yep. So who, whoever. So that, yep. one thing to remember is Hawkinson is in tow. Yep. I think that is a very fair point. Um, yeah, and, and heck, I mean, even with retaining the wide receiver coach, uh, who is probably one of the best, the if not the best yeah. wide receiver coaches in the NFL, I think you could potentially try to maintain your first draft uh, pick, spend it on John Michael Schmitz, okay, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different ways to acquire additional picks for this draft. Um, even if you don't, using your second round pick to try to go after a wide receiver, if you feel like now with our wide receiver room and our coaching, we think yeah. we can even take a a day two pick and make it a phenomenal thing. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be against hearing that if we can actually be productive, but it's really about your ability to predict it because I mean, this is just a one-year sample size. So take it for what it's worth, but we drafted Jalen Naylor and he did very, very well considering the limited snaps we gave him. And we got him in what the sixth round, sixth, if they can do yeah. that with the sixth round, imagine what they could potentially do with the second, both yeah. in identifying, Hey, here's where you're currently at. And this is what we can do with you. Um, so if you're really thinking about the most efficient use of spend across the team and more specifically in the offense, I wouldn't be against taking that strength and exercising it in the second round and leaving the first round for either cornerback or the center. Sure. I'm with you on that. Totally agree. All right. Anything else uh, to get to here for wide receivers before we wrap it up? No, it's going to be a fun draft. It will be. And we got a lot to get to before the draft, including, um, including combine, which is coming mm-hmm. up before, you know, it actually the super bowl gets pushed back. It seems all the time and it just brings it closer to the combine. So, uh, that'll be, that's sort of the next tent pole event on the NFL calendar is the combine, but we got a couple of weeks before that. Um, so we'll be able to preview the combine in upcoming episodes, uh, and continue to take a closer look position by position at the Vikings roster. And that is what we will do next week. Um, on the Wobcast 2.0 is we will select another position to drill down on. We'll go through what worked, what didn't, where it needs to get better, who's set to return, who will no longer be with us, and who we think the Vikings could go out and get via the draft, trade, and or free agency. But for today, that's going to do it. This episode of the Wobcast 2.0 is over. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can go find all of our 
former episodes and future episodes, wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, among others. You can also find us on Twitter at Wabi. We would love for you to engage with us there. Let us know what you think, what you want to hear about, any ideas for the show or opinions you have on the team. Let us know. Join the conversation. On behalf of Giles and Chase, this is Wabi signing off for now. We'll talk to you next week. Skull Vikings.